0: Hello, I'm Josephine Burton and welcome back to the Dash Arts podcast, seeing the world through an artistic lens. Earlier in the year, we began a mini episode series on protest songs, particularly looking at songs sung across Europe as part of our Eutopia series of work, which culminates this year. We began with the Internationale and I spoke to the wonderful Billy Bragg and Professors John Street and Robert Service about the song and its ongoing relevance today. Our Dash Up's production of Middlemarch then completely absorbed us. But all the while, we've been watching protests across the world and particularly growing strike action in the UK over the last few months. And we've been biding our time to return to protest songs. And a song that I particularly love, Bella Chan. Oh, and so I picked up the phone to Philip Cook professor of Italian history and culture at the University of Strathclyde to find out more about the song. When we started to think about um, protest songs and um, it was it was pretty obvious to me that Bella Ciao should be one of those songs on the list partly because Completely selfishly, I want to know more about it. Like I'm, I know it's an Italian song. I know it's got an extraordinary history. I keep coming across adaptations and versions of that song being sung around the world, in India and in in Gezi Park in Turkey and in South America. And so it's a sort of anthem for protest. And I wanted to sort of go back a little bit to understand it, that context and the history. Are you able
1: to help? I'll give a. I'll I'll, I'll try as best as best I can. But I mean b- before I. Start giving you a history lecture, which I'm going to avoid. Uh, I mean, I think you're absolutely right about uh, about how kind of congenial a song Bella Ciao is, and and how it's really easy to belt it out, and how people can learn it very e- easily as well. So I mean, it's an it's an Italian song, but even if you don't know, even if you can't sing the lyrics, you can all sing Bella Ciao, and uh, I think that's one of the reasons that the song has proved so popular internationally. and um, and not just in Italy. But anyway, to take you back then then to the the context, we need to go back to the Second World War and um, and specifically to the period 1943 to 1945, roughly from September 43 to April 1945, when the uh, Italian resistance movement is formed, the resistance movement that uh, fights against the Germans um, and uh, fights uh, against Mussolini's fascists as well with the assistance of the um, of the british and the other allied forces that are in italy at the time so um the partisans many uh, young people um hiding in in the mountains uh staging attacks against um, against the germans against the fascists blowing up um railway lines this 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 kind of thing and um one of the things that they that they that they do when they're not engaged in these kind of actions is to you know try and keep their spirits up, and uh, and this can involve all sorts of activities. But singing is uh, is one of them. In the same way that you have a, a sing song at the end of your meetings, and so um, during this period, as I said, forty three to forty five, you get a uh, you get a lot of um, resistance. Um, you get a lot of resistance songs, and um, probably the most famous of them isn't Bella Chow. It's a song called Fiskja Event or the Wind's Blowing um our shoes are broken but we've um but we've got we've got to keep going and it's a song which uses a um original russian tune katusha which you uh, may or may not know
0: bill can i can i take you back one can i take you back even earlier
1: you can yeah
0: i, I read the bella Chow kind of potentially has roots in the mondine they like the the paddy fields the mondine were the the weeds i think the weeds in the paddy fields and they were being farmed by the women in the late nineteenth century and there's a sense that I thought that, the, that like some of the lyrics about kind of, I don't know, the boss with its cane and the early in the morning, there's some lyrics in there in the, in the original. I get up to the rice paddy fields. I, I, I thought there might, I'd understood that there might even be an earlier history to that song.
1: Yes, it, it is true that, um, that one of the kind of lines of inquiry has, has been that uh, there would seem to be um, uh, songs sung by the rice pickers um, I suppose, originating in the late 19th century, uh, in which they were sort of lamenting their conditions of work, um, having to get up incredibly early, working in appalling conditions, uh, quite frequently, of course, contracting malaria and, and earning very little money. So th- there are songs and different versions of songs which, which are very similar to, to, to Bella Ciao. And, uh, and so, yeah, we can see, I suppose, the roots of, of this song, but the actual lyrics of the Bella Chow that um, that we sing, I'm not talking about the Wumba version or various others as well, but the, but the one that refers to the partisans you know that is to the second World War period. So it's like it's an adaptation it's it's, it's using a song and and, and uh, lyrics that, that that pre-existed but then adapting it to the context of of the Second World War. You you see this phenomenon happening with with, with all sorts of songs. It's the same with the one that Fiske Vento that I mentioned just a, a minute or two ago. You know, it's originally a Russian tune but then uh, you know kind of Italian lyrics are, are are introduced and that and that tune is then employed and uh, works extremely well actually. With the lyrics,
0: so okay, so I'm going to go back once. I'm going to just clarify that because I think you've really helped me understand it. So there is probably a melody that comes from the paddy fields, the Mondine, that that was adapted during World War Two by the partisans fighting fighting against Mussolini. Um, and, and the lyrics of the partisan with these, you know, one morning I awakened and I had the found the invader, a partisan carry me away because yeah. I feel death that death's approaching or whatever those lyrics are. That was emerged either during the war or after the war.
1: That's right, emerged during the war and uh, immediately afterwards. And then there's a long and, and complicated process, really, I suppose, from 1945. Up to the present day, in which the song has had its kind of ups and downs, and, and you know, almost gone silent, and then been relaunched. Um, I mean, when I originally uh, started teaching the, the resistance, um, the history of the resistance at, at, at my university, I, I looked for versions of Bella Chow, and you know, actually, you know, predating the web, can you believe it? And uh, it was very difficult to find. Um a, um a version of the song in fact the only one that i could find was 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 a was a all female chorus singing bella Ciao in a really kind of dirge like fashion in a way that would almost send you to sleep um, but what you've got now on on the web and on youtube above all are, are thousands of um of versions i mean I, I i i listened to one by a, a hungarian punk band um, just earlier on this afternoon. It's
0: really interesting that you were you, you just mentioned this sort of female this female choral uh, choral version of it because I was wondering about the gender aspect of it. Like, yes. it's fascinating to me that these were it was largely a, a women's job to be working in the paddy fields. Like this is a female. The origins of the song may be female, and then presumably it, during the war it became it became I don't know gender neutral or perhaps more male, um, with these resistance fighters partisans. Does that get fed through? Like even in like the Italian with the kind of gender endings. Does it? Does, can you? hear hear it in the in the lyric. Well, I'm actually
1: I'm glad you asked. Asked this question because I mean one of the things that there's always been a problem for me with with Bella Chow is that it's about, you know, it's about a young man who decides to join the partisans, you know, and he says goodbye to his his girlfriend, you know, Bella Chow. And and it's as if he leaves her behind, right? He goes up into the hills. He does all the fighting. And, uh, and, you know, in a sense, you know, she's left to pick up the pieces and indeed to bury him if um, if, if if he gets killed. And uh, it gives you the idea that the resistance was something that was uh, entirely done by men, which isn't actually the truth at all. I mean, there, there, there were women who participated actively in the resistance, you know, shouldering. Uh, rifles, but they are also an absolutely integral part of the whole, you know, organisation of, of the resistance movement. I mean, in, in some cases, they were actual sort of resistance um, leaders in in Turin and around Turin. Uh, exactly, uh, for example, that's just 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 one case. But the women as well were, you know, very much in, in, involved in supplying information, food, uh, you know, dealing with the, with the injured partisans, and so. In a sense, the problem with with Bella Ciao, from, from my perspective, well, it's absolutely brilliant song. Uh, it, it does t- tend to give you this idea that the, the resistance in, in Italy was 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 purely the domain of men, which it wasn't.
0: Right, and particularly fascinating if actually it was the women who originally sang the song. One day will come. The day will come when we'll all work in. Work in our freedom.
1: The Mondino, the rice pickers, obviously originally uh, sang sang that version of the song, but then then the Partisans started singing. I mean, of course, these days. Um, it's sung by everyone.
0: I was reading earlier today that there were a bunch of like during quarantine, during the COVID quarantines in Italy, they, they it, the song was sung from the balconies.
1: That's right. Yeah, you're, you're right. I, I do remember seeing that on the uh, the, the Italian news. Um, it was really quite moving. I, I have to say to, to to hear them to hear these sort of uh, strains of Bella Ciao wafting across, as you say, the, particularly the internal balconies that you get in uh, in Italy, so everybody could. Um, could could hear each other. I mean, yes, it, it, it has really resurfaced um, over the last um, the last few years.
0: I guess there's an interim there's an interim period for the song which comes after its writing and it's and it's transcribing um, after the war, when presumably it had been a partisan song sung against the kind of main main political kind of state in the during the war, and then it became. It, it was. It became normalised. Presumably, did it as, as a song after the war, as Italy as Italy tried to kind of set, kind of reestablish itself, or to kind of, to kind of. It was so split during the war. It must have yeah. gone through it. You know, I guess that's another podcast in itself, trying to understand how Italy managed to unite itself again after that. Absolutely. Um, but did the song yeah. was the song part of that unification?
1: Well, I mean, one of the key things about the song is that, is that it it actually it doesn't refer to the fascists. OK, uh, and so it doesn't give the impression that the resistance was a fight between, between the resistance, between the partisans and, and the fascists. It, it doesn't at all speak of the, the civil war that took place in Italy from 43 to, to 45. It talks about, you know, in that first line, El trovato l'invasor, the invader, as in the, as in the German. Right, and there's this, there's no reference to to the, to the fascists throughout, and this in many ways is actually quite convenient, because you know after the war, you it, Italians and, and not you know any country that's experienced a civil war is is is, is wanting to get over the fact that uh, people even from the same family were fighting against and in in some cases killing each other. So you know, Bella Ciao is quite a convenient song in the sense that it's 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 all about. Uh, the German invader, you know the bad German if you like and the, and the good and the good Italian and so you know, that means that the, the, the song is kind of acceptable in a context in which talking about fascism and talking about violence if you like was, um, was really quite difficult particularly in the 1950s. But um, I think it's still the case that probably the most popular partisan song in this, in this earlier period, period, the first decade or so, isn't Bella Chow at all. It's, it's Fiske Vente, the one I mentioned um, earlier, um, which is a song which is actually far more politically charged as well. What, what happens with Bella Chow is that, is that it, it kind of gets relaunched in the 1960s. Um, there's um, uh, 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 various um, Italian kind of songwriters, folklorists as well, who get together after uh, 1960, and um, they they start putting together uh, shows and um, uh, and and concerts with resistance songs in them. And Bella Ciao is one of the songs that um, that are, that is that is sung uh, famously at, at the uh, the Festival of the Two Worlds in in Spoleto. In the early 1960s, and it seems to be that moment when um, when 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 Bella Ciao starts to become far more widespread, and then um, it gets picked up outside of Italy as well. So Yves Montand, the the uh, the, the French crooner, uh, sings sings Bella Ciao, and again you 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 can hear him on YouTube uh, performing it. And uh, I found a, a letter. Um, in the Communist Party newspaper from the, the mid-1960s in, in which the, uh, the writer of the letter says, listen, you know, Yves Montand's version of Bella Chow has reached Siberia, he says, it's reached, reached Siberia. So it's this sort of combination in the, in the 60s, I think it is, that, um, that, that sees Bella Chow then starting to, uh, t- to become a far more widespread um, uh, song and a far more sort of internationally known song as well.
0: So, so my, my, my kind of friends who grew up in the Soviet Union tell me that they used to sing this song at school, so they hate it. But <laughs> interesting to me, that at some point, this song, which was sort of an anti-fascist song, becomes a kind of, by default then, a pro-communist song, does it? How does that link happen?
1: <laughs> it, it's always been associated with the political left, Bella Ciao. Partisan songs in general have, have always been associated with the um, political left. You know, Somebody like Monton. Um, as well, would have no trouble with that. Uh, I'm sure that, um, probably as you're saying, in, in the Soviet Union, if it became popular in, in the Soviet Union, in, in the, well, y- your friends uh, wouldn't have been singing the song in the 1960s. I'm, assume, I'm assuming it's actually far more recent in the, in the 70s and 80s. And so, so, by that, so by that stage, it's become embedded, if you like, in, uh, in, in, uh, in Soviet youth culture. But it's, it's always been seen, um, because the resistance has always been associated with the, with the left as well. I mean, they weren't all communists, let's be clear, but I mean, the majority of people that participated in the resistance fought in communist organized brigades. So the, song, the song's always been yeah. associated with the, um, with, the, with the political left. I mean, you know, but By the way, I mean, you, you really need to make a distinction between the Italian communists and, and the Soviet communists as well. I mean, they're an entirely different animals. And so, yeah, so a song of the left, a, a song of protest, a, a song which has been used in, in many, many different contexts. I mean, in the early 2000s, it's, it's used as a song, an anti-Berlusconi song. So when Berlusconi comes to power, which is the second government, it is um, an Italian television um, presenter, Santoro, sings it at the start of one of his programs because uh, he fears that he's going to be censored by and perhaps even fired. From the state television channel for um, for what they accused him of of, of, of doing, which was um, giving um, biased um, political opinions, and so Santoro wanders about the the studio uh, in during the opening title sequence, singing ba- singing it very badly as well and out, and out of tune. But you know, <laughs> there, it, you know, it's it's seen all right. Okay, so Bella Chow, you know, associated with protests, associated with all the attempts to to stop Berlusconi.
0: It's a political act, isn't it? He did it as a political act. It's not even, it's not even a rousing chorus to try and rally the troops. Well, maybe it was. Maybe that's what he was trying to do.
1: Well, I mean, it could be. It, could, it can be a political act, as, as we say. Also, all the, the children on their school trips in Italy in the nineteen eighties and 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 before then, they you know they'd all sing it, irrespective of where they came from politically. You know, so there might be there might be the sons and daughters of card carrying Christian Democrats, but you know, they still sing. They still sing Bella Ciao
0: because it's a, it's such a great song.
1: It's a thumping song. Yeah.
0: I really enjoyed hearing Philip's unravelling of the song's long and sprawling history from the rice fields to the resistance and into the classrooms. I also wanted to understand how important Bella Ciao still is in Italy and how the younger generation who didn't grow up during times of war respond to the song today. I was lucky enough to speak with Virginia Cirolli, the singer who gives us both a beautiful rendition of Bella Chow at the end of this podcast and shares the amazing story of her grandfather's fight for the resistance. Virginia, do you have a connection
2: with Bella Chow? And if so, why is it important for you? I do. I do have a strong connection to that song, actually, um, because my granddad... Uh, was um, a part of the Italian resistance um, when the song was sung by the um, Italian army at the time in the resistance um, in the second world war. Um, So I remember him singing that song from time to time and telling me about it um, and how it was something that they kept on singing to just keep going, which is actually interesting because it wasn't originally written for the you know the famous reason we know it for. It's not for the World War II. It was written by women, props to them, uh, because it's a beautiful song, by Mondina, which is um, rice paddy female workers. Um, and it was against their uh, harsh working conditions. And then the song has been adapted uh, for the, no, we, the reason we know it it's famous for Um, so yeah it's quite dear to me because I know that my granddad did risk his life um, during World War II um, to fight uh, against uh, of course the um, uh, Germany at that time. Um, so it's very dear to me uh, to hear that song and sing that song. What's an amazing connection for you with with the, with the music? Where was your grandfather fighting? Uh, he was in the Alps uh, in North uh, Italy. That's where um, the resistance was most of the time. Um, so I remember him telling me about uh, how he was hiding there and um, he, at one point, he almost got uh, caught by the, the German. Uh, that arrived um but he was saved by an italian lady because she hid him in the uh, cellar of her house um and it was a really close call and he always told me about those adventures and stuff like that and if it wasn't for that lady he wouldn't be there today and I wouldn't <laughs> be there either. That's extraordinary. And and how and, and and you've been have you been singing it then as part of your musical repertoire? Let's say I sing maybe my like more opera songs as part of my repertoire because my granddad, the same granddad, was an opera singer later on in his life. Um, so that's the kind of music that I grew up listening to. Um, but every time I hear it, whether it's uh, I mean, recently we've we've heard it everywhere because of a uh, money heist. Uh, they brought that song uh, back to life. So. I've been hearing it and, You know, every time it makes me go back to that, um, to my granddad and hearing him. Is there something about the music that you love too, or is it just that it's the connection, it's the direct connection to your grandfather and the family link? Of course, there is this connection with my granddad and with my family directly, but I think it's looking at the lyrics of the song and how they're still quite relevant today. I've asked my family what they thought about the song as well, and if it's relevant for them, because of course I have my point of view, but I didn't have theirs. Um, And I had some mixed... actually some of people in my family didn't really attach to the song and some people said some really interesting things Uh, my mom said something along the lines of um, this song is to defend the people that defended themselves Um, and I really liked uh, her way of seeing it I'm personally quite inspired by that song because it makes me think of the people that stood for what they thought was right even though they were in the minority at the time um and it inspires me to do so as well Mm. it's a song that can be quite relevant uh, nowadays uh, with everything that's going on in the world and when you're in the minority this song directly is a celebration of them as well i think it's absolutely beautifully and powerfully put Are are there particular lyrics that move you uh i would say i mean it's quite cliche but the last uh let's say, four lines. E questo il
3: fiore del partigiano. O oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao. E questo il fiore del partigiano, morto per la libertà.
2: Um, and it's basically about um, what it says in English. The translation is literally, this is the flower of the partisan. Oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao. This is the flower of the partisan who died for freedom. And it's that last line that really um, resonates with me because you know uh, some people, unlike my granddad, did not survive uh, what they were fighting for. And I think it's a great way of celebrating uh, these people that fought and literally gave their lives for something that um, they thought was right. And I think that's something that personally, I wouldn't be able to go to that extent for something that I want to fight for. I don't know if I would have the courage to go up until giving up my life for something that strongly and that willingly. Um, and that's something that we have to remember that some people did that for us and to arrive where we are today. And it's a beautiful lyric,
0: but also it is phenomenal that we pay tribute so collectively because that song is the song. When you hear those, song, those songs being sung in moments of mass protest, we're all collectively remembering the people that died yeah. for us, which exactly. is just phenomenal.
2: Yeah, it is. It is a beautiful song. And I think it's really important to always come back to the actual lyrics um because some sometimes the song is used in a very uh, good and uh, in a good way as in, in money heist i see why they chose that song um and sometimes it's not used in, in the correct way i would say or like they don't look at uh where it came from or or why so it really depends on the use i think it's it's made of but of course in uh protests uh when we're fighting for freedom uh or we're fighting for independence um the the use of the song for me is completely right and it's really uh uh, breathtaking (laughs) to hear it Mm. sang live of course i I
0: agree i had this kind of phenomenal moment at the weekend when i was i stumbled at unintentionally on a protest in, like, in Hamster Teeth. It was was this kind of collective rabble of people who were all protesting... Uh, about different things I mean I think it was a kind of anti, anti-establishment anti march that was going on that was crossing London they were protesting about all the kind of you know like the uh, the kind of legal world in which we're living with bills of rights and covid covid rules and basically all of the great dissenters of of, of London had all joined together and it was very funny it was a very funny march it was great to be kind of stumble onto but as I was walking I was walking like the other way through through Hampstead Heath as they were walking past me so I saw loads of them and then there was a guy with a recorder who played Bella Chow as I passed Amazing. him. And it was it was so phenomenal. It was just, I, I, I mean, I almost turned around to him and said, how did you know? How did you know I'm doing this <laughs> podcast about this song right now? Uh, no, I really, and I wanted to record it, like, but I didn't have my phone with me. So it was just a moment, but it, it was a moment that... Um, felt very special that i hope i hope that it was absolutely intentional by his part that he was fighting for freedom through his music yeah i'm sure i loved virginia's passion for bella chow and her belief that it can and should be shared as a protest song for the world and also philip's argument that it can bring people together across politics and smooths down divides. I've come across some incredible versions of Bella Ciao across the world. Returning to Philip, it's an easy song to sing, and Bella Ciao is just is 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 a catchy, a catchy and accessible phrase. But it has been translated into other languages. Like I, I am, um, I came across a video of it being sung in Punjabi in India recently, in the protests against the closing down of the big, the big kind of markets that were that were being. The government was trying to set close down in for the farmers in Punjab, and I, I'm aware that it has this amazing ability to transfer itself. Into other languages and other countries. Um, are there versions that you've come across in strange parts of the world? Well,
1: I, I mentioned earlier that I, I, I heard a Hungarian um, uh, version of it just um, earlier on today. And as you say, there there, there are lots of versions. But I, you know, I, th- I think the thing is though that yeah, you you can you can translate it, but it's still actually easy to sing in Italian. The lyrics are quite straightforward. It's quite it's quite easy to to to, to remember the lyrics because. You know, it it tells a story, which is easy enough to follow. And so, you know, while there are, as you say, lots and lots, lots and lots of translations, and people are always wanting to know, well, what the hell, what the hell does it mean? It's actually a relatively straightforward song to to remember in Italian, and of course, thumping out Bella Ciao is um, is is really straightforward. Every everybody knows knows what Ciao means.
0: Coming back to this point, uh, the, the, I guess the sort of tension, uh, innate tension at the heart of the song, which is that it's both this song of protest against fascism, and yet a great song. It kind of plays itself out into into its more most famous recent cover of it, which was the film Money Heist. Because which is obviously like a in some ways that's a it's a big glossy Hollywood yeah. film, isn't it? It's like a it's a, it's the kind of epitome of capitalism. <laughs> Um, is there some discomfort about it being about it being appropriated for, for 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 hollywood
1: i don't think so to be honest i think there's manufactured discomfort if you like i've i've read various articles on on the web in which it says ah oh, yeah everybody's sort of jumping up and down and clapping their hands and singing this song but the older generation were are not happy i'm i'm not entirely sure that that is uh, a, in any way a, a, a reflection of the of the truth. I think I think the fact um, that the, the Casa de Papel has, has you know done a lot to to, to make young, particularly young people, um, aware of this song. You know, perhaps even um, understanding that it's got some connection with um, with the Italian resistance movement um, is great. I should clarify, of course, it's not Hollywood. It's just, it,
0: but it, but it was a, it was a, you know, it's a big Spanish, it's a Spanish big drama, isn't it? It's a big
1: drama, but you know, the song that I mean, they use the song in in uh, at, at key mo- key moments uh, during uh, certain episodes. I think one of them's actually entitled "Bella Chow. I think it's extraordinarily powerful. I mean, I've got I've got no problem with the, with with the song being used in um in in money heist i mean it just happens to have coincided as well with them um, with the you know e- enormous expansion of it and, and use of it in lots of other places in in protests in in greece um this 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 have you heard about the sardines by by any chance the sardine protest movement um in italy this is from just a few years ago that like, all they carry uh, in, in, into the squares. There's no plaques. They just they just carry images of, of of sardines because there are so many of them packed into the squares, protesting against the um, uh, you know some of the, the right wing political parties in Italy and, and above all the leader of uh, of what's called the League, a guy called uh, Salvini, and they all, they all sing bella ciao and i think you know in a sense this is this is this is ridden on the, su- the success of um, of money heist so you know more power to yeah them. that's
0: great it's great it's feeding it's feeding it i haven't seen the sardines protest but i have seen vid- videos on youtube of um thousands of people in gezi park in turkey singing bella ciao i think grupo yorum yeah. it's like a big popular turkish mm-hmm. turkish group um pl- I played it as part of their you know in in gezi park and Thousands yeah. of people singing that song, and it's incredibly powerful.
1: Is there a particular verse that you like? Well, I, I think the final, the final verse. You see, where you, um, you, you go, you know, Equeste fiore del partigiano, morto per la libertà, and ending on that, um, uh, that, that line is um, is is great. You know, the 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 the, the, em- the emphasis on the, the sacrifice that they made in fighting for liberty. I mean it it does mean that you that you go out on a, on a high. I mean it's um there's a sadness to it as well, but um there's, there's this there's this very sort of sense that it's politically charged and um yeah
0: yeah it does because I'm just you're absolutely I right I think you
1: need to shout morto per la libertà does finish like
0: that doesn't it mm-hmm. it goes down for mm-hmm. libertà that's right. yeah I'd forgotten that in yeah. my mind it, in mm-hmm. my mind it just goes round bella ciao bella ciao bella ciao, ciao but it doesn't it finishes mm-hmm. with that moment yeah that's a beautiful end mm-hmm. and very final deliberately so It's not just the creative team at Money Heist that love Bella Chow. I discovered that the composer Orlando Goff had recently been working with the song. The reason why we picked up the phone to you was because my partner went to the Globe to see Much Do About Nothing and he just reflected to me afterwards. He started this great version of Bella Chao and I was like, okay, I'm going to track down Orlando.
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, there we are. Yeah, it's a, song, it's a song I've curiously got very obsessed with, which is odd, you know, because it's not an English folk song. It's an Italian folk song, and it's, you know, in a way, far from my own culture, but I, I completely identify with almost everything in it, everything in it, in fact. And um, so when we started working on Much Ado About Nothing and the, the director, Lucy Bailey, decided to set it at the end of the Second World War in Northern Italy, and the piece Much Ado About Nothing begins at the end of of a war. I mean, in Shakespeare's original version, it's a kind of unspecified war. Um, and in Lucy's version, it's a Second World War. Um, and we're in northern Italy, so the fighters are part of, are partisans. It took me about seven seconds to decide that Bella Ciao <laughs> had to be there. in didn't much do about nothing. But the war is... I think a very important. It's, it's a brilliant. It's a brilliant idea um, that the play begins like that because it's as if men and women haven't been allowed to be together for five years, and so that there's a feeling at, at the end of the war of an an enormous feeling of excitement, but at the same time there's a kind of wariness. Uh, the men have been away for so long, um, and the women and the men have been leading such different lives. Um, that that kind of imbues the, what happens next with with a real ama- a really amazing tension.
0: That's a brilliant introduction, Orlando. Thank you. The other thing that my partner said was, was there was this amazing all female accordion band.
4: Band in Much Ado About Nothing is my idea of complete heaven. Uh, I love the accordion as an instrument, and, he, and in this band there are five accordion players, and they are all women. The, what happened is that in in Shakespeare's version of Much Ado About Nothing. The piece begins in the palazzo of a man called Leonardo, and he has a brother, Antonio. In our version, it's Leonardo. It's a woman who's in charge of the palazzo, and she has a sister, Antonia. Now, some you know, sometimes those gender transformations in Shakespeare can be very tricky. I think, um, but this, I think, is a completely brilliant idea because it means that. At the very beginning of the play, the, it's a world of women, um, and they haven't seen men for a long time. And then at the very beginning of the play, we see this world of women, and the first thing that happens in the play is that a messenger comes in, and we don't know whether it's good news or bad news. And he sings the first two verses of Bella Chow in a kind of tentative it's kind of wary, snackered actually. Version he's covered with blood, and you don't. So you just don't know whether it's good news or bad news. Um, and then he delivers the news, and it's basically good news. They're they're doing well. The partisans are doing well. The war might end soon, and there haven't been many losses. Um, and then soon after the men turn up actually turn up and they roar into the auditorium into the yard of the of the globe um, on motorcycles singing a really exuberant version of the song and then the women join in and we imagine that all these people know this song really well and the accordion band joins in and you get this you get this moment of sheer joy and exuberance and relief and what's so brilliant about that song is that it has a kind of Incredi- I think a very ambiguous quality because it's it has a kind of melancholy somewhere inside it, perhaps in a minor key for a start, and yet it has a fantastic energy and therefore implies hope. I think there's a kind of glorious ambiguity about the song.
0: Do you think it's that ambiguity, that ability to straddle those different kinds of emotions which make it a successful protest song?
4: I do, actually. I think it I mean it's for me, it's a kind of perfect protest song because it in some way expresses the, the hell of your current life. Um, and yet, because of its energy and its momentum, it manages to give hope. And I think that is a kind of perfect protest song. The, of course, you can do many, di- very many different versions of it, very many different arrangements. I mean, Mary Hopkin. Did a very kind of wistful arrangement of it, which actually works really well. And then we get a Goran Bregovic version, which is just kind of pure exuberance, pure joy. And then in between, we get we get kind of angry versions, we get savage versions, we get kind of versions where where the, where it's quite ambiguous. And and I feel that that kind of that makes a really good protest song because part of the Point, I guess, of singing a song at a protest march is to kind of give yourselves hope, actually, is to is to and to feel like a, a community.
3: It completely and it, does it that. It does that
4: really it well. Completely
0: does that, and you obviously explored that through yeah. having that solo voice coming on and then being joined by the ensemble towards the end.
4: Yes, yes, because as a solo piece, it can be extremely melancholic. I mean, it works very well if you sing it very slowly, and then it can pick up. It, it much told about nothing. Quite soon, they have a party to celebrate, um, and and then Bella Chow kind of gets into this party. Uh, it sort of it introduces itself into a wild dance, a kind of tarantella that they dance, and then and then we hear it again in a in a, sli- in a slightly more melancholic version as Benedict is kind of wandering about, baffled in the party, and then right at the end of the party, there's a kind of two o'clock in the mo- morning version of it, uh, rather beautiful, kind of go back to a solo female singer um and so i've <laughs> i've used it as much as i conceivably could without driving people completely right the bend and at the, i must say at the end of the party the war in that play is out of the way and actually <laughs> yeah. you can't use it again <laughs>
0: i love that you you went on that journey from the solo voice to the ensemble and through back to its beginning again but it through a different voice what a beautiful metaphor for the play
4: yes um, it's, I mean, I think you could accuse me of just being a little bit too obsessed uh, with the song, but it is quite nice that actually through that party, you're, you're moving into a situation where we're thinking entirely really about love and sex, but, but the war is just there still. It's affected everything that's going on. So it, feel, it felt right to keep the song going.
0: You've now claimed obsession twice through <laughs> the course of the conversation. What what is it about it that, that, that makes you that, that obsesses you?
4: Um, one of the things that interests me as a composer in it is the structure of the lyrics of the song. That it hasn't got what you would normally call a chorus. It just has a series of verses. But the second line of each verse is the same. Oh bella chow bella chow bella chow chow chow. So it acts I think, in, in the same way as a chorus. It's a very unusual structure. You, you occasionally get it in folk songs. Um, and it gives an amazing, every time it comes, it gives an amazing lift to each verse. So that the verse, each verse starts off in a way quite tentatively with two little phrases which are identical in a minor key. And then you get, oh, bella, ciao, bella, ciao, bella, ciao, ciao, ciao. And, and you get your first harmonic change and you get this kind of lift and momentum in each verse. And then the last two lines, you get a complete surge. And every, so every verse has this big kind of emotional moment halfway through. And that is pretty brilliant for a folk song. Some folk songs, which are only just verses, can get really dull you, there, there are those kind of storytelling folk songs which have got 24 identical m- musically identical verses and you and it's okay except you're just longing for something else but somehow in this because you get this lift out of the, out of the second line of each verse every time it really is very very exciting
0: and it's the combination of that lift. And the fact that it's the same lines each time um, and and there's a repeat of the same word. That's why it's it's so successful as a protest song because the ensemble can join in for those moments. Because what's interesting for me about this song and the reason why I was interested in the as well is how widely these songs have traveled. So when you start looking at Bella Chow as a song, it has been translated into Hindi and then translated into Turkish and translated into Russian. But often the Bella Chow stays the Bella Chow so that, like, you know, so that it'll be sung in, you know, I've seen it sung at protests in Gezi but the court that refrain mm. is still Bella chow and then everyone can join in with Bella chow, whatever they are.
4: Yeah, it's a brilliant kind of call and response thing. Because normally it, that kind of call and response, you have somebody singing the verse, and then everybody sings the chorus. In this case, everybody's you get one line, and then everybody can come charging in and give the whole thing the lift, and you don't need, you don't have to know any of the rest of the, the words. And, of course, it's, incre- it's incredibly memorable. If you talk to people about the song, they just immediately go, oh, Bella, ciao, Bella, ciao, Bella, ciao, ciao. I mean, just you can't help it. And the fact that, that it's the same words every time means it's much more memorable, I think, than it would be if it were different words in each one. I think that's totally right. I, th- I, uh, came across, I came across the other day a, a wonderful version in Punjabi uh, a Punjabi version of it, which has been sung. Do you know about this? It's been sung recently uh, to protest against farming laws in in India.
0: I found that version too. It's an extraordinary version of it.
4: It's an extraordinary version of it, and he's completely changed the words. Actually, he hasn't even kept a oh, bela chow, bela chow, bela and it's quite a kind of quite a sort of wistful, kind of held back version of it. Talk about kind of nonviolent protest. It's wonderfully held back. It's a kind of Satyagraha version of the. Of the song, Um, and uh, I, I noticed it's actually it got it got involved in the big protests in Delhi, and then and then it's become a big thing in the Punjab now because because the local government have got some really fearsome, horrible farming laws that they're bringing in, and so it's still being. Still being used. And then what happens is, which I really like, is that that's inspired a whole lot of kind of wild Bangra versions of the song, including some kind of daft ones with all about roti <laughs> and things like that. And I think it's really great. And it's also really great because, of course, it, it brings, because it's a farming protest and it brings it right back to the original Mondina versions of the 19th century, which were about the rice fields. So, there's something really brilliant about the fact that it's gone from northern Italy in 1890 or something like that to the Punjab. Um, Same song same problems basically uh just different <laughs> lyrics in a different language. Orlando,
0: you couldn't I couldn't have said it better I completely agree with you I think that's what that's what for me is so exciting about this song is its potential it's potential it is it, it, ability to remain re- relevant and and adapt re- adapt over like a lot more than 100 years It's phenomenal and I think it's something about the simplicity of it. Of the simplicity of those lyrics that and the, and the melody, the folk melody that enable it to happen. I was thinking about what you were saying about the ambiguity of its music and its ability to be interpreted in different ways, and I think that's what it, that, that's its strength, as you say. I mean, that means that wherever you are, whatever you're protesting about, you can make it relevant to your
4: situation. That's absolutely true. Very often, without changing the words. So, I mean, which is odd because because in the partisan version, it's, it's very particular. <laughs> it keeps going, oh partigiano, but it somehow. Doesn't matter. It's fine. It, it still works.
0: I wanted to ask when you were talking about yeah. everyone coming in with the refrain, the Bella ciao refrain. Uh, does has that happened in in, in the Globe? Mm. Do people do people kind of do people sing it back to the uh, to the performers?
4: Yeah. It, well, it's yeah. It's interesting because the, the Globe uh, has a very wide ranging audience. Uh, a lot of tourists and a, and a lot of so a lot of Italian tourists would turn up, um, and they will really know the song. Um, so, actually, there you can watch people, particularly people in the yard, you know, the, the bit where everybody's standing in front of the stage, that you can watch people just kind of taken over by the song. And, of, co- of course, they know the lyrics and they're actually not entirely sure whether to join in because, uh, it's because a theater. It's, <laughs> oh. that's a theatre. Um, uh, they probably would later in the piece because it's that kind of theatre where you do join in. And so they're, they're hovering they're hovering and you can tell, you can see them miming the words and occasionally joining in. And it's really, it's really moving, I think, to see, uh, to see people who, for whom it's so much part of their culture, um, accepting that there it is in a, play, you know, play in English but suddenly they hear these people singing Bella Ciao in gorgeous. italian it's lovely it's great moment
0: i am so thrilled that I, we reached out to you um, and tracked you down and like being able to we're able to to hear that and also just to hear that how um, how how long you've been waiting to, to do something with that song for it is amazing
4: yeah yeah it's true it's true uh, yeah it's been it's kind of sits around in my head and it's such a good subject to be thinking about at the moment i think and, and, and so good to be reminding people that protest is, is possible and can, can work, because I do think we lost track of it. I remember going on the Iraq war protest and, and there was such a brilliant feeling there. it was such a huge protest and you felt this great wave of hope. And then it all just goes. So Tony Blair just goes, I couldn't care less about you two million people who are protesting, who bothered to protest. I'm just going to go ahead with this completely insane war. And then, and then, and I think people began to get out of the habit just thinking this just doesn't work. It's just
0: not worth it. And I, I mean, I have been, I agree, I agree with you. And I, I've been watching yeah. Mike Lynch's um, speeches the last few days and just his, his absolute power yeah. of certainty of conviction yeah. and the power with which he speaks is just incredibly yeah. inspiring. And um, I've also been thinking strikes can
4: work. And I, it looks like it's going to happen, actually, doesn't it, this summer, that the protests is going to spread. Uh, and the strikes are going to spread because because everybody's in a really hard yeah, position.
0: And we need more songs on the picket lines.
4: We need more songs on the picket line and it, I'm sure Bella Charles will turn up <laughs> somehow.
3: I have no doubt. Una mattina mi son oh, Bella, ciao, Bella, ciao, Bella, ciao, ciao, ciao. Una mattina mi son E ho trovato l'invasor, o oh partigiano, portami via, o oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao ciao ciao, oh partigiano, portami via che mi sento di morire. e se io muoio da partigiano oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao e se io muoio da partigiano tu mi devi seppellir mi seppellire lassù in montagna oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 ciao. mi seppellire lassù in montagna sotto l'ombra di un bel fior e le genti che passeranno oh bella ciao bella ciao bella ciao 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 e le genti che passeranno Mi diranno che bel fior, e questo il fiore del partigiano, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 e questo il fiore del partigiano, morto per la libertà. Huge
0: thanks to Virginia Sorolli for her thoughts and rendition of Bella Ciao, and also to Orlando Goth and Philip Cook for their inspiring and arousing contributions. Please go out and sing in the parks and on the picket lines this summer. And we'll be back shortly with more podcasts as we build towards our new production of Dider's Bar this autumn. In the meantime, you can find previous episodes, including the one on the Internationale, wherever you get your podcast, or by going to our podcast section on our website, dasharts.org.uk. And if you like the Dash Arts podcast, follow the show and share and please leave us a review. It helps us to stay visible and would mean the world to us. The Dashouts podcast is produced by Rachel Head and I'm Josephine Burton. Thank you for listening.